Let's take an introduction to the poetical books. Only five books in the Old Testament are considered poetical. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, sometimes called the Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes is interspersed with poetry and prose. However, its close association with wisdom literature has generally caused the book to be grouped with the poetic writings. All of these books are included in the section of the Old Testament known as the writings. Poetry is also found throughout the Old Testament. Some would estimate that up to a third of the Old Testament is poetry. And poetry often serves as the medium for wisdom literature and much of Hebrew prophecy. Since the form of poetry controls the message to some extent, the reader must seriously reckon with its form in order to understand its, com its content. Let's look at common characteristics of Hebrew poetry. The exact definition of Hebrew poetry eludes scholars, but certain characteristics are evident. First is meter. Meter and rhyme both play important roles in most poetry. Meter refers to the accent pattern or the rhythm of the text. Rhyme, as you are probably much more familiar with, refers to the similarity of sounds. In Hebrew poetry, while meter and rhyme are not as significant as they are in other languages, meter is more prevalent and prominent than rhyme. Um, so let's then look at the most obvious and important characteristics of Hebrew poetry if they are not meter and rhyme. It has been said that poetry speaks to the mind through the heart. Through vivid images and poetic devices, we encounter God in an emotional arena that is innate or inborn to our human nature. So when you read your Bible, do you read it all the same way? That is, do we read the historical narratives in the historical books differently than poetical works in the Psalms? Because of the nature of poetry, we have to be careful not to over-exegete or extract precise meanings out of every word. Because sometimes that would take the meaning beyond where the poet intended it to go. If we don't understand the way Hebrew poetry is written, we may over-explain a word picture that is intended to extract an emotion and try to make it a doctrinal statement. So if that's true, then how do I recognize poetry when it's spread throughout the Bible? Hebrew poetry is characterized by short, concise, and highly structured sentences. In, comparative, in comparison to a narrative passage, poetry tries to tighten up the sentences and use fewer words. Concise, concise statements are characteristic to look for. For example, in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The meaning is far-reaching. He proclaims that every person is guilty of sin and is accountable to God. In addition, he points out that if God were to hold every sin against us and treat us the way we deserve, none of us would stand a chance. That's a lot to say with just 11 words. Word pictures are another common feature in Old Testament poetry. Poets have often been compared to artists because they draw a picture for their audience. They simply use words. For example, rather than simply stating that a person who relies on the Lord will be strengthened, the poet states in Isaiah 40 verse 31, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
Instead of writing that nations of the earth can't compare to God, the poet writes in Isaiah 39:15, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as small dust on the scales. The word pictures are given to express the truths of God. They draw our emotion from the audience and provide images that go beyond mere words. The most common characteristic typically noted in Hebrew poetry is a structure called parallelism. Parallelism refers to the relationship that exists between two lines of poetry. They complement each other in some way. Most often, Hebrew parallelism displays itself in forms of concepts, thoughts, or ideas rather than in meter and rhyme. There are three basic forms of parallelism, and we'll look at these more closely while we're together in class, but I'll go ahead and describe them here briefly. The first is synonymous parallelism, which involves a repetition of the same or similar thought, such as Psalms 1911, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The second is antithetic parallelism, which involves two contrasting ideas. See Psalm 1-6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The last, synthetic or progressive parallelism, the second line in some way completes the idea of the first line. Consider Ecclesiastes 11.1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Sometimes it uses cause and effect, such as Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or it will use sequence, as in Psalm 37.29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And sometimes it uses deduction, such as in Psalm 16:81. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Um, there can also be grammatical parallelism based on the choice of grammatical forms or using parts of speech or word order. Sometimes um, parallelism poses a question. In parallelism, the poet often will use words that are commonly associated together to tie lines together to express a thought. For example, night and day, sickness and health, silver and gold, wise and foolish. Other forms you can look for in uh, Hebrew poetry are chiasm where two successive lines of poetry reverse the order in which the parallel themes appear, and acrostics, which are alphabetic poems. An acrostic is a phenomenon where the successive lines of the text each begin with the corresponding letter of the alphabet. So in English, that would mean line one begins with A, line two begins with B, and so on. The Hebrew alphabet contains 22 letters, and we see this phenomenon in a number of places. The best examples are Psalm 119, Proverbs 31, and Lamentations 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let's look more closely at the book of Psalms. The five books of Psalms span the centuries from Moses to the post-exilic period and cover the full range of human emotions and experience. There's a wide variety of Psalms and each were suited for service as the temple hymnal for the people of Israel. The Psalms were set to music and focused on worship. The collection may rightly be called the Songbook of Israel. The name of the book 
Um, in Hebrew, Tehillim means praises or songs of praise and occurs more than 20 times throughout the Psalms. The Greek name of the book, Psalmoi, song or hymn from which the English title is derived. In the Hebrew scriptures, Psalms begins the, the section of um, the Hebrew scriptures called the writings. It's assumed that David's collection should come before Proverbs, considered to be Solomon's collection. The book of Psalms is a collection, um, and we really don't know who collected them, but they're written by a number of people. David is ascribed as author of 74 Psalms, Asaph, the sons of Korah, Moses, Solomon, Heman the Ezraite, and Ethan the Ezraite all wrote Psalms, but there are still 49 Psalms that do not have an author ascribed to them. The book of Psalms is divided into five books, each of which concludes with a doxology, that is a word of praise to God. In the English Bible, these doxologies are given verse numbers that connect them with the psalm, but an extra space between them and the end of the respective psalm indicates that they were independent in nature. We don't really understand or know for sure the rationale for the divisions or this five books of Psalms. Some suggest that they are associated with the fivefold division of the Torah. Some suggest they're divided by authorship. Some suggest they're grouped according to the names used for God. The Psalter contains a range of literary types which suggest different functions in Israel's private and public worship. Comparison of these forms makes it possible to better grasp their meaning and their use. The task of understanding a given psalm begins with certain questions. First, what's happening in the psalm? Complaint, praise, thanksgiving, instruction. Second, who's speaking? An individual or the community? If an individual is he a spokesperson for the group, such as a king, a priest, or a prophet? Or is this an individual complaining of suffering or giving thanks for deliverance? The third is, is the king mentioned? Do words like anointed son or shield denote his relationship to God and Israel? While with many other Old Testament texts, we interpret a text by looking for background, dates, and tradition, Many of the Psalms don't have a specific background information mentioned, so understanding the classification of the Psalm helps more in interpreting and applying it. For example, if a Psalm is composed for worship among the congregation, then it wouldn't necessarily apply to a personal setting. Various types of Psalms can be identified based on similarities in poetic forms, styles, and content. There are seven common types generally recognized. First, hymns, that is, songs of praise and thanksgiving for God, who he is, and what he has done. They may be individual or corporate. Examples include Psalm 8, 136, and 150. Penitential psalms confess sorrow for sin and appeal to God for grace and forgiveness. Examples include Psalm 38 and 51. Wisdom psalms express general observations on life, especially on God and our relationship to him. Examples include Psalm 1, 14, and 73. The royal psalms focus on the king as son of David and as God's special instrument to rule God's people. Examples are seen in Psalm 2, 45, and 110. 
The Messianic Psalms describe some aspect of the Messiah, that is the anointed one's person or ministry. Um, examples include Psalm 2, 45, and 110 again, which were all royal psalms, but also include psalms like 16 and 22. The imprecatory psalms call for God's judgment against God's enemies or his people's enemies. See Psalm 35, 69, or 137. And last, psalms of lament generally have three elements. They bemoan one's condition, they make a statement of trust in God, and they affirm praise to God. Examples are Psalm 3, 4, and 6. Note that Psalms 120 through 134 are self-designated as songs of ascent. Such may refer to songs that would have been sung while going up to Jerusalem. Um, You'll notice as we are in the land that Jerusalem is literally up from every place else in Israel. Theologically, the Psalms are the densest material in the entire Old Testament. There is a greater concentration of statements about God here than anywhere else. The fact that this fact reflects the fact that theology is the key to worship and that worship generates theological insight. Glorifying God involves making many a statement about God. And conversely, theology finds one of its natural forms in doxology or glorification of God. In speaking about God, the Psalms characteristic affirmations that God is involved and active in Israel's corporate and individual life in both its religious and political aspects. We see this in the material as well as um, the tone of the Psalms. The Psalms are tied to God's commitment to the king um, and to the continuance of God's dwelling in Jerusalem. We see lots of Psalms about life and death, giving the impression that human life is characterized by vulnerability and by wickedness, or that humanity is divided is between the vulnerable and the people who take advantage of them. Also, Psalms seems to assume that you may not wait until the end of your life to experience, quote, death. They don't distinguish life and death as sharply as we do. People saw or felt experiences such as illness, depression, separation from God, oppression, and loneliness as a loss of fullness of life. It was as if death had seized them while the experience lasted. Let's take a very quick look at the Song of Songs. This book has long been a source of uneasiness for Judaism and for the Christian church. It doesn't mention God anywhere. This failure has caused its place in the canon to be debated more than any other Old Testament book. Judaism and Christianity both solve the problem by interpreting it allegorically. For Jews, the husband was the Lord and Israel was his bride. For Christians, Jesus was the husband and the church was the bride. Song of Songs is one of the five festival scrolls in Jewish tradition, a collection discussed, um, a collection of poetry. It's not exactly easy to find a place for this book in a discussion of the Old Testament. Like the Book of Psalms, its qualities as poetry seem to override any historical or thematic concerns. If we're honest about this book, 
It was a collection of love songs celebrating the joys of physical lovemaking. Its lesson was that sex was God's gift to humankind. Like all gifts, it can be properly used or abused. But even though some abuse it, this did not lessen its value or beauty. The poems in this book cover a wide span of years, and they were brought together in their present arrangement in the post-exilic period. Solomon was not only noted for his wisdom, but also seemed to enjoy a reputation for his way with women. He was reputed to have 700 wives and 300 concubines, or slave wives. Thus, this book, like Proverbs, was attributed to him and is sometimes called the Song of Solomon. The collector and arranger of the poems thought of Solomon as one of the main characters. <laughs> 